So, we are going to start a little differently today. As I said, the youth are in here. So I want to start with a fun activity that I saw at a camp once. And the way this game works is the person on stage makes a fool of themselves, so I volunteer as tribute, and then you guys just make a bunch of noises. So when I point to this side of the room, you guys are going to say, whoop, whoop. All right, so can we practice one time? Ready? All right, when I point right here, you guys are going to say, yay. All right, when I point right here, you guys are going to clap twice. All right, and then over here, you guys are going to say, oh, yeah. All right, so it's going to be random. I'm just going to start pointing, and you guys are going to make noises, all right? All right, thanks for doing that. that <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to start it off. So that seemed kind of silly. And for some of you, you're like, why are we doing this in church? It might have felt weird. It might have felt uncomfortable. But I promise there was a point to that. And the point of that was to show that to every cue that I gave, there was a very obvious response that was being called for. You were just waiting to see my finger, and hopefully when I pointed at you, you were ready for it. There was a very obvious response to the cue that was given. So as we keep going today, keep that exercise in mind as we go through that service, because today we're going to continue on the Christmas season by talking about something that has become known as epiphany. So what epiphany means, um, this is a service that is generally conducted right after Christmas, and this is kind of the breaking through of the gospel, the revelation of the gospel to the Gentile people. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, Without any doubt, the mystery of our faith is great. He was revealed in flesh, meaning Jesus, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, and taken up in glory. So as it said, proclaimed among Gentiles, so that word Gentile is a word we've probably heard used a lot in church. And if I'm being honest, until studying for the sermon over the last couple weeks, I probably wouldn't have told you exactly what it means. So, it comes from a Greek word, ethnos, which refers to a people group, a group of people, a culture. So the word Gentile is never used as like an individual like factor of like, yeah, that's a Gentile, that's a Gentile, that's a Gentile. Basically, in the Bible, Gentile is just used to refer to any of the non-Jewish people groups, the non-Israelite people groups. So in the Old Testament, before Jesus comes, we see Israel followed very closely. We see Israel in captivity. We see Israel in freedom. We see Israel growing. We see Israel shrinking. We see Israel winning wars. We see Israel losing wars. We see the whole gambit. But what we see for sure is that God was present with Israel every step of the way. So in the wins, in the losses, in any of those battles, God's presence was with the Israelite people. And now the Jewish people and the Gentiles, they did not typically eat together. They didn't worship together. They didn't do community together. They didn't live life together. So it, it kind of created this divide where it really seemed like God's presence was only for the Jewish people 
and was not for the Gentile people. And a lot of studying and a lot of stuff that I looked as I studied for this kind of tried to paint this picture of this happened out of like hateful hearts of the Israelites. And I just, in reading it, and I just feel from God that it needs to be said that like that's not the case. There might have been a little bit of adding on to faith that needed to happen, but culturally, for an Israelite to eat with a Gentile, eating held different weight than it does now. I will eat with anybody. I don't care. I'll eat anything with anybody, and I'll be fine with it. Culturally then, at the time, eating with someone who didn't follow Jewish dietary laws was saying, I stand by your lifestyle. I stand by you not having the same beliefs that I do. So that was why those lines were built. But it really created this idea, like I said, that the kingdom of God was only for the Jewish people. And then Jesus comes, sweet little baby Jesus, comes in his manger, and immediately he shakes that up. Immediately he shows that his plan is to include the Gentiles in the kingdom of God and that his plan was always to include the Gentiles in the kingdom of God. Somewhere in here, I think it might be out there, in every four-square church, Hebrews 13.8 is posted somewhere. And it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that leads me to say that Jesus' plan was always to include the Gentiles in the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, if you could please turn with me to Matthew 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to hopefully show how Jesus immediately comes and shows that the kingdom of God is for all people. So if you look up there, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, in that story... There's these people called the Magi. And now, since it's Generation Sunday, I'm going to take a little time to talk about who the Magi were. You, has anybody ever heard someone talk about, like, the three wise men or the three kings? So those, 
three people are the Magi. We don't know for sure that it was three people. There were three gifts given, so people just say that. But those are the Magi. The Magi's were astrologers. So that first word, astro, that means star. So an astrologer is a person who knows a lot about stars. And they would use the positioning of the stars and the planets and all of these things to predict or determine what was going to happen in the world in, that, in those days. So when God wanted to get the attention of a Gentile magi, he met them right where they are at. He didn't draw a line in the sand. He didn't send some angel. He didn't send some prophecy that they may or may not have ever read. He didn't send some leader who might communicate in languages they wouldn't understand. When God wanted the attention of a magi, he sent a star. He met them right where they are at. He wanted their attention, so he went and got it, and he communicated in a language that they would understand. He communicated right into their passion. So one of the things we did for the youth today with these drawings, I don't know if you guys know our youth group. I am easily the worst drawer in youth group. Even if I try my best, I cannot hold a candle to the art that our youth kids put out there. So we try to meet them where they're at. And we try to insert that into worship. Because that is what Jesus does here. He meets them in their place. So there's a, a famous 19th century theologian from Germany. His name's Otto von Gerlach. I hope I said that right. And he says this. He says, As Jesus adapted himself to the fishermen by the miraculous catch of fish, to the sick by the curing of their sickness, to all the hearers by parables relating to circumstances around their ordinary life, so did he draw these astronomers to himself by meeting them in their favorite science. So God got their attention. He showed up in a big way to catch their interest. But then from there, he put it on them to respond. He gave them a choice. He presented himself and made himself known. They knew who God was. They had heard the story of who Jesus was and who he would be. And now, what would they do? So as I look around, I see some kids getting a little tired. So I'm going to tell you guys about one of my favorite creations in the entire world. And I feel a little bad about this one because my wife came up and said all these sweet things about me and honored me. So you would think in return I was about to do the same thing when I say I'm going to talk about one of my favorite creations. But instead, I am going to talk about my cat. That's my little baby boy Leo in his Christmas bow tie. Clearly happy, clearly loving life. So Leo, he's very dog-like. He's super needy. He's not the cat that you can feed and then leave alone. He is always on you. He always wants to play, but he will only play with toys that we need to put in effort. So if we leave him a ball, he'll never play with it. But if I physically pick up a string and put it in front of him, he's like, oh, the human's doing work. That's fine with me. I'm going to play now. He wants us to exert ourselves so that he could play. And he's even bigger than that now. He is a big cat. He's about a 20-pounder. So every morning I wake up from here to here is sweating because that's his sleeping spot. He creates a puddle of sweat on me. He always needs to be on me. This is me working on my sermon last night. Leo was not happy that he did not have my full attention. 
So there he is, trying to interrupt dad as he plays. But the reason that I tell this story is there is no way of getting through to this guy. You could be like, Leo, I really need to work right now. He sits there. His favorite hobby is biting feet. You could be like, Leo, stop biting my feet. He doesn't stop. My hands are scratched like crazy from trying to pick them up. He does not listen. There is one time that he listens, and I have that in a video for you. Leo, come here. Leo, come here. Get away from the door. Leo. Leo. Kitty. Kitty. Good boy, now sit. Leo, sit. Sit. Good boy. There you go, buddy. Good boy. So, just like his father, If you give him a treat, he will listen. But the reason that I show this video is even the most stubborn cat listened when we offered a treat. So as we look at how the Magi had to respond and this ushering in of the kingdom to the Gentile people, we have to see what it is that Jesus has to offer And that is exactly what the Magi did. They came to this place, they saw, they had had heard, they had heard these stories, and then he sends a star. And the Magi chose to worship. They chose that this, what, what Jesus could give was enough to get them to listen, was enough to get them to go. The Magi chose to worship. But there's an interesting point where they choose this, and I'm, I'm about to wrap up. The text shows us that the Magi followed the star to Jerusalem. But then Jesus was in Bethlehem. So what, what God could have done is sent the star straight to Bethlehem and sent the Magi to Bethlehem. Makes sense to me. I, I'm a work smarter, not harder kind of guy. Makes sense to me. Just send it to the place. I'll go straight there. But Jesus sent them, or God sent them to Jerusalem. Why would he send them to Jerusalem? He sent them to Jerusalem because just as the Jewish people had done, the Gentiles had to submit themselves to God's revelation in the Scriptures. They had to realize that there was something more, that their wisdom, their astrology, their genius was not enough. If I, if I was God, why would I send the star straight there if I had already given instructions of where Jesus was going to be? He had already written in the Bible, it had already been prophesied that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. So instead of sending the Magi straight to it, he sent them to Jerusalem. He sent them to church. He made them go to the religious leaders and say, hey, where's this guy going to be born? He sent them to that. And in that, that right there is the moment that the Magi chose worship. That right there is the moment where we see the roadmap to the kingdom of God is worship, is obedience, is submission. The Gentiles chose that in that moment. And then out of God's goodness, what does he do? He sends the star to Bethlehem. 
They still get to follow the star. He shows he's still meeting them where they're at, but he made them come to this place of saying, I am choosing to worship. I will worship right here. The star was no longer what was significant. It led them there, but the Magi had to say, I want the person who sent the star. I want the source of the star. The star's not enough. I want to be led by God. So over this whole Advent series, we've been telling the story or doing a series called Here Comes Heaven, and if the worship team could start making their way back up. We've been doing this, this series called Here Comes Heaven. Well, in Epiphany and right now, I'm here to say that heaven is here. Jesus has been born. Jesus is here. He's still alive. He's still with us. And our response is to worship. So the Magi came and they showed their worship right away by offering gifts. I did this research this morning because I was curious. They offered frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Frankincense today cost about $500 a pound. Myrrh, about $4,000 a pound. And gold, over $1,800 an ounce. So their gifts were by no means insignificant. They gave big gifts, but where, they, where their worship continued, the gifts were one thing. Where their worship continued, notice, they never promised to go back to Herod. Herod said, come back to me and report to me. Tell me all about Jesus. They didn't do that. They went another way to avoid that because they weren't going to put Jesus in harm's way. They decided to worship. And in that moment, what they did is they told Herod, my allegiance is no longer with you. My allegiance is with Jesus. My allegiance is with the one you're calling the king of the Jews. My allegiance is with this child in a manger. Charles Spurgeon, a famous pastor, pointed out, notice that the wise men never promised to return to Herod. They probably guessed that all of his eager zeal was not quite as pure as it seemed to be, and their silence did not mean consent. They worshiped from a place of a God who met them right where they're at. So our worship is from a place of being loved. Our worship is from a place of being sought out, not out of us seeking anything out. We have already been sought out. We have already been found. And that is the place we worship from. That is the place the Magi chose to worship from. And that is the place we choose to worship from today. So the story of Epiphany, I can't say enough culturally how wild it was to think that the kingdom of God was for the Gentiles. There were a lot of people who spent their whole life living a religious life that weren't very happy that this kingdom was now going this way. But what, what is said in this moment, that in the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. All that matters is that they sought out Jesus. That's how Jesus chose to illustrate his kingdom. There's no physical qualification. There's no status. There's no societal ranking. There's nothing that could qualify us for the kingdom of God. So in this moment, now known as Epiphany, there's a revelation of the gospel to the Gentiles. And they're not just welcomed. It's not like, oh yeah, we'll kind of let you in. The Gentile people are given the same access to the same God 
with the same power and the same amount of crazy love. They are brought in to the kingdom equally. So Jesus is here, and our response is to worship. Just like that video I showed of my cat, my baby boy, the Magi had faith. They decided, so the other part of what's happening in that video, there's a neighborhood cat that Leo likes to stare at through the door, and they yell at each other. They, they want to fight each other really bad, and we're trying not to let it happen. So Leo was distracted by the cat in his own way. He was distracted by his own mission. Oh, but then the treats came, and the salmon-flavored mouthwash was too much, and that pulled him away. So in the same way, we are called back to a place of the God who has something so much better for us than a fight with a cat. He has something so much bigger for us, no matter where we came from. We are so loved by God. And if I could end with one thing, I'd just say that Jesus is for you, and he loves you so much. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. God, thank you that your kingdom is inclusive. Thank you that your kingdom is for all of us. Thank you that we have a place at your table. God, that we are loved and accepted by you, and you meet us where we're at. That your love is a conduit for change in our life, but we're not required to change to come be with you. That you seek us out and you meet us where we're at. You give us a choice to respond. So God, would we be a people that we respond and worship? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.